الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله All praise due to Allah and may the peace and blessings of Allah be on the last messenger of Allah Our topic the search for inner peace First and foremost we can say that this topic represents a universal desire on the part of all human beings no matter where they are in the world no matter what religion they follow no matter what race they belong to wherever they are they all seek inner peace now the channels by which it is achieved are varied there are many different channels by which people have sought inner peace it may be through music some people seek it through material possessions others through careers and yet others through the success of their children but no matter what channel we travel on there seems to be something missing we don't seem to achieve it we continue to search the facts of the matter with regards to inner peace and modern developments technology etc is that modern technology has not helped us in this process when we look at the rates of suicide and depression over the last 100 years they have increased they're on the steady increase so it is obvious that the route for achieving inner peace is not one through the material world around us through the development of technology advancement of society it is somewhere else we need to look somewhere else before we begin to look perhaps it's better for us to define really what is this peace this inner peace that we are looking for perhaps our perception of it is affecting our ability to achieve it if we look at the webster's 20th century dictionary it defines it in six different ways the first freedom from war or civil strife freedom from war or civil strife the second is a pact between countries or groups the peace pact the third freedom from public disturbance or disorder public security 
law and order. The fourth, freedom from disagreement or quarrels, harmony and concord. The fifth, an undisturbed state of mind, absence of mental conflict, serenity. Sixth, calm, quiet, tranquility. If we look at these various definitions, they address different aspects of the world in which we live. Freedom from war or strife is really something which deals with international or national politics. Freedom from public disturbance, this is again related to the national, the state, or the city, the town. Freedom from dis disagreements or quarrels, harmony, concord, it seems to be a family related thing, neighbors, immediate community. And an undisturbed state of mind, absence of mental conflict, serenity, seems to be an individual thing related to the individual's experience. Calm, quiet, and tranquility, that seems to be a location. There are locations of calm, quiet, and tranquility. When we look back at this, this quest of ours for inner peace, we have to ask ourselves, is it really attainable? Or is it really an illusion? A myth? A fantasy? Something that we desire, but it is really not something that we can attain. If we look on a world scale, and the scale of the world, countries, dealing with other countries, peace doesn't seem to be attainable. Because somewhere in the world there's some conflicts going on. Wars, strife. If we look on a state level, a country or a city, there is civil dis disturbance going on in so many different locations. There is crime. If we look on the family level, then we can sort of find peace for periods of time. Although family, even in families, we do find disagreements happening, some arguments. It's not a smooth going, peaceful thing all the way through. And even on the individual level, though through a variety of different means we might achieve something of peace, for a period of time, it doesn't seem to be lasting. It doesn't really seem to be lasting. If we look back at the human being from the end of his life backwards to the beginning, the only time where we could say there appears to be a continual state of peace is when the human being is a fetus growing in the womb of his or her mother. All needs are taken care of. Perhaps here is a period of serenity and continual peace. However, any woman who has had a child will tell you 
We might imagine there is peace, but I feel all these kicks and elbows and things happening, you know. So really, what's happening with that fetus? Is it really peaceful? Maybe there isn't even peace there. So, what is the answer? Is peace, inner peace specifically, attainable? Well, there is a statement in the Quran in which God says, I have created human beings in toil and struggle. That this is the nature and the norm of their lives. That they will be in a state of struggle from the beginning to the end. And truly, when the child is born, it does fluctuate between periods of peace, happiness, and periods of unhappiness, crying, screaming, etc. As it gets bigger, uh, it starts to move, trying to turn and to sit up and eventually to kneel and to crawl. And all of this is a series of struggles. Till it finally stands up on its feet and it walks. But struggles all the way. So what, what is really the essence of the situation? The essence of the situation is that we are living in a world of opposites. A world in which everything seems to be in opposition to everything else. That opposition may be complementary, like hot and cold, sour and sweet, high and low, hard and soft. These are compliments. They're not fighting with each other. But they have a role. Each one of them has a role. Because we don't know what is hard unless we have experienced what is soft. We don't know what is sour unless we have experienced what is sweet. So it has a place. These opposites have a function in our lives. There are other opposites like good and evil. They are opposites and you do need to know good to know evil and you need to know evil in order to know good. But these are in opposition. There is a struggle between justice and injustice, knowledge and ignorance. There are other aspects of our lives in which the opposites are engaged in a continual struggle. So, I would conclude that inner peace is something which we cannot attain on a continual basis. However, we can attain it for periods of time. For periods of time which may be extended depending on the degree to which we have understood life and been able to apply the most important principles of a life in our lives so that we can live through longer periods of inner peace.
But those longer periods, no longer do have an end. There is a time when the inner peace will end and our situation will shift. And it's not a bad thing. Though all of us, each and every one of us would like that inner peace to carry on forever. However, it's opposite turmoil, struggle has to be there. For us to appreciate that inner peace, we need to also experience the toil and the struggle, the turmoil. So, at least let us work on together the basis for inner peace, at least for some periods of our lives that we can appreciate. It can help us get our lives in order to function without going through bouts of depression. Because a lack of inner peace does not necessarily mean we have to go all the way to the other side, into depression, suicide, That lack of inner peace requires us to be patient, knowing that it is temporary also. As our period of inner peace was temporary, so is the period of inner turmoil temporary. So let's look at how we can at least achieve a real working level of inner peace. Well, I would say that the first step that we have to take is to remove obstacles. Those of you that are watching the PowerPoint presentation, you know that it's all out of sync. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, just press it whenever you feel like. <laughs> so, to achieve inner peace we must remove the obstacles to inner peace. Is that coming? You're still behind. Keep pressing. We must remove the obstacles that prevent us from achieving inner peace. And this, of course, is assuming that our basic state, our norm, is one of peace. And things have been piled on top of that norm which prevent us from from achieving that inner peace. We are assuming that. And that's not a wrong assumption. If we accept that that norm of inner peace also has a norm of turmoil along with it, side by side. What is our first strategy? We need to identify the obstacles. Identify them. Finally, Thank you. Identify the obstacles. Well, to identify them, we must be aware of them. Right? We must be aware, we have to be made aware, or we have to find out for ourselves. And then, we have to accept them as obstacles. These are two different things. Because a person might say, anger. Anger is an obstacle. To inner peace. How can you have inner peace and you're angry 
all the time. You're shouting, you're screaming, you're worked up. But you can't possibly attain inner peace. But I don't have a problem with anger. Recognizing that anger is a problem, but then recognizing that you have a problem with anger are two different things. So, our first strategy involves not only being aware of the obstacles, but also accepting them within ourselves. That whatever prevents the achievement of inner peace is likely to be found in us in one degree or another. To be honest with ourselves. To be able to benefit from the input of people around us. To escape the state of self-denial. You know, this is the biggest problem, one of the biggest obstacles to awareness and correction and removal. Self-denial. This is something each and every one of us lives in different aspects of our lives. To be able to take criticism, to be able to recognize error, it's much easier to deny it. And so self-denial is a common trait among human beings. The second step, is that coming? is to remove the obstacles by solutions. We have to identify our solutions and we have to take action to remove these obstacles. This, is a, this represents our general strategy. I'm sorry, this screen was really supposed to be in the middle and everyone should have been able to see it. But let me just say for those of you that cannot see it, the general strategy for removing obstacles, for dealing with the obstacles which prevent us from achieving inner peace, are one, being aware of those obstacles, two, recognizing them in ourselves, accepting them as obstacles within ourselves, and three, identifying the solutions. We identify the problem, we identify the solution. And then, fourthly, we have to take action. Not enough just to have understood, to recognize, to even grasp where the solution lies. Without taking action, it is all meaningless. It becomes only a psychological exercise. So, let us look at where the main obstacles lie. Before we go there, no, don't press that button yet. I would like to hear from you where you think the main obstacles lie. We have a couple of microphones here and I want short answers. Where the main obstacles lie in our lives. Where's the microphone on the women's side? Who's got the microphone? Where's the microphone on the men's side? Huh? Egoism. Egoism. Okay. Somebody making note of uh, egoism here, please? 
from the women's side, can we get, we don't, since the microphone's not getting there, somebody just say what you think. Pardon? Environments. Okay. Who are ambitious? Pardon? Who are ambitious? Ambitious. Uh, Over ambition. Okay. Can I hear some more? Pardon? Pride. Yes. Materialism. Sounds on it from the men? Fear. Traditions. Hatred. Mm-hmm. Prejudice. Prejudice. Denial of rights. Denial of rights. Oppression. Mm-hmm. Inability to forgive. An inability to forgive. Mm-hmm. Pardon? An absence of? Aim in life. Yes. Aimless. An absence of an aim in life. What was that one? Aimless. Same Aimlessness. Okay, same thing. A lack of patience. Mm-hmm. Ambivalence. Ambivalence. What do you mean by that? It's between hatred and love. Between hatred and love. No. Ambivalence. Poverty. An obstacle to inner peace. No clear understanding of uh, about human beings. Pardon? No clear understanding about human values or human beings. No clear understanding of human values or human beings. Okay, that goes back maybe to materialism. Mm-hmm. Jealousy. Yes. Lack of faith. Not understanding the purpose of life. Lack of faith and lack of conviction. Not knowing what Allah wants from us. A lack of faith and lack of conviction. Okay. The unpower, the unbridled greed for power and control. An unbridled greed for power and control. Un- unclear destination. Unclear destination. Okay. The okay. complexes. Hmm? Complexes, inferiority and superiority complexes. Okay. Related inferiority, superiority complexes. Let me say, you've mentioned many, and all of them have a role. I would say that the main obstacles involve personal problems. Okay, these are the personal things that you just mentioned. The pride, the jealousy, the greed, the desire for control and uh, power and these kind of things. These are personal problems, defects in character. The second group we could call family issues people didn't really talk too much about these family issues don't these affect our inner peace when family things are not moving smoothly 
lack of communication, husband doesn't communicate with the wife, parents don't communicate with the kids. You know, isn't this a problem? Isn't this a problem area? Doesn't it create friction, lack of inner peace? Yes, it's, it's a big area. You know, all of us in one way or another are parts of families. And a dysfunctional family will naturally be a big obstacle to achieving inner peace. Next category is financial dilemmas. Yeah. There are many of you spoke about that. Poverty, uh, low salaries, uh, problems at work in general. You're not getting paid for the work that you're doing. You know, finances, money. Also, there are also work pressures outside of the actual financial issues at work. Those of us that are out working, we have a, a boss who is a tyrant. Now, it's not our problem. It's not my problem that my boss is a tyrant, an autocrat. He makes all the decisions. He never, you know, uh, delegates. Every decision has to be in his hand. It makes life very difficult. Very difficult to work with. And I know this is an experience. Most of us who are here who are expatriates, we have experienced this. You know, it seems to be a common trait in this part of the world. The leader who wants to make the decision for everything. He cannot delegate. So everything takes much longer and he wants to make decisions in areas he doesn't even have knowledge of. <laughs> Problems. <laughs> that autocrat. Well, work-related problems. Then we have the last major character, uh, category, which I call spiritual confusion. Because we as human beings are not only physical entities with emotion, intellect coming from it, but we are also spiritual beings. There is a spiritual longing that we have, this spiritual essence which is truly us. I mean, what we see of the outside, of the external, is only a cover. It doesn't really represent the internal, the spiritual us. So naturally, where that spiritual being is in a state of confusion, then inner peace becomes difficult. How to achieve it? When spiritually, we are at a loss. We don't know. We are in that dilemma. So, our obstacles are many. You mentioned many, and I mentioned some general headings for some of what you mentioned, and there are others. If we were to try to tackle each and every one of them this evening, I think we would take a few weeks. It would take us a few weeks. We couldn't do it in two hours, to be real. So, what we need to do is to divide them into two categories, two major categories that we can work with. What we perceive of the obstacles, we have to admit 
that there are certain obstacles which are beyond our control. And it's important for us, if we're going to try to remove obstacles, to identify them, to know which obstacles are beyond our control. So that we don't waste energy trying to deal with something that we really can do nothing about. So, it is important for us to be able to know what we can do and what we can't. Hit the button. The Prophet, Prophet Muhammad, may God's peace be upon him, the last of the Prophets, he said, if the spirits, the jinn, and humans gathered together to benefit you, they could only benefit you with something which God has written for you. They could only benefit you with something God has written for you. There is this area that we really have no control over. It's coming. Like it or not. He also said, No, he didn't say this. But, there is this prayer, which is commonly called the serenity prayer. And it consists of the sta- of three statements. Basically, this is one way of saying it. It can be said in different ways. We seek the patience to surrender to the unchangeable. We seek the patience to surrender to the unchangeable. What the Prophet spoke about, may God's peace and blessing be upon him, those unchangeable things, we need to have patience. Remember we mentioned one of the obstacles, lack of patience. Obstacles to achieving peace. So we need to have patience. When we recognize these unchangeable elements in our lives, we have to have patience to deal with them. Also, We need the spiritual strength to change what is changeable. Because after identifying the unchangeable, then we're left with a chunk of changeable things in our lives. But now how do we change them? How do we go about changing them? Do we as individuals have the power all by ourselves to change them? This is the question. And lastly, we need to have the wisdom to realize the difference between these two categories. Between the unchangeable and the changeable. If we have the wisdom to identify them, then we have the means to remove them and to correct them. Let us go back to our first category. We seek the patience to surrender to the unchangeable. For example, if we say, I was born black in a world which favors white people over black people. Can I do anything about being black? Well, Michael Jackson thought he could. (laughs) 
you know. He was trying to change the unchangeable. And he really messed himself up. <laughs> he really messed himself up. Better to accept how you were born, how God has created you, and work with it. Or being born poor in a world which favors the rich over the poor. Again, that's what we were born into. Can we change that birth? Of course we can change our state of being poor by trying to increase our wealth through knowledge, through work, through whatever. But the fact that we were born poor, we can't change that. We had no decision as to which family we were going to be born in. Whether we were born in a village in Bangladesh or we were born in you know, New York City. I mean, who decides that? This is among the unchangeables. Of course, we do have much of the third world lusting after the first world, trying to get a visa to go to America or to Canada, at least get nationality. <laughs> we can try to change something of that. But realities of birth, we cannot change. Similarly, being born short in a world that favors tall people, being born plump in a world that favors slim people. Uh, these are things that really we need to just put aside. Don't waste our energies on trying to change these things. And God said, anyway, in the Quran, perhaps something good for you and love something harmful to you. This is a reality of our lives. That there are so many things that happen to us which are beyond our control and we are upset about it. We hate it. But later on we find out that it was something good. And so many times we desire something which we feel is really good for us. But later on we find out that it wasn't. It was harmful. This is the reality of our lives. We really don't know ultimately what is good for us and what is harmful. So when incidents befall us in life, we have to look beyond them. We can't get caught up in the incident itself. We have to know ultimately, as Stephen Covey said, be in a win-win situation. Be in a win-win situation. Whatever happens, make the best of it. Find the silver lining with the rain cloud. The reality is that it's there. There is a good side. What happens in our lives are ultimately for our benefit. But it's a matter of realizing where the benefit lies. So we need to strive for it. To search for it. To be patient until we find it. I remember some years back, 
about three or four years back, when I saw in the newspaper, I was living in the Emirates at the time, and there was this uh, article in the newspaper, they had a picture of uh, a teacher from um, Egypt. He was there with this big smile on his face. He had both, his, both of his thumbs up, you know, thumbs up. And on one side, his father was kissing him on his cheek, and the other side, his sister was kissing him on his cheek. Or maybe it was his wife, I'm not sure. Anyway, there he was, big smile, thumbs up, father, wife, or father, sister, kissing him on either cheek. Then, underneath, they had the caption. What happened is that, a day before that, he was due to get on a flight to Bahrain, Gulf Air flight, heading for Bahrain. All the teachers who were teaching in Bahrain, they were to get on this flight and fly into Bahrain. Or oh, there are a number of different flights, but this was the last of the flights. Last flight. He delayed leaving till the last minute. When he ran to the airport with his bags and everything, he found out that he was missing a stamp. In Egypt, to do anything, you have to have a hundred stamps. You stamp, you go to this one, stamps, comes back to that one, stamps again, you go to that one, you, you know. You have a hundred stamps. And if you're wondering why this is happening here also, because Egyptians came and set up the uh, <laughs> administration here. So this is the legacy, right? <laughs> Anyway, back in Egypt, he had missed out one stamp. Missed out one stamp. There he was at the airport, he didn't have his stamp, they weren't going to let him on the plane. He was in tears. If he came late, his pay would be docked, maybe he would be fired, you know, all kinds, he just had conjured up all kinds of terrible situations happening to him. He was missing his flight back. Of course you all know, that was the flight, Gulf Air flight, which crashed. And all of the passengers died. No survivors. So when the news came, the next day, there he was. Thumbs up. The day before he was in abject, you know, uh, distress and depressed and life had just crumbled all around him. And the next day, thumbs up smiling from ear to ear. <coughs> this is life. Also, I remember an incident a few years back where my father-in-law in the States had been invited with his friends to go on a fishing trip. They had been planning for this trip for a number of months. You know. And they were all ready to do it and the last minute, one of the kids got sick. He couldn't go on the trip. Oh, he was missing out on this trip, you know. Because it's not often that he and all of his friends were able to get together and go out on the trip. The next day, they, the others went on the trip. He didn't go on it. But what happened was stormy weather. The ship, their yacht overturned and... 
everybody drowned. Except one amongst them who wasn't a good swimmer. All the others were good swimmers. So was my father-in-law. But the one person on the whole ship who was a bad, couldn't swim, could hardly swim to save his life, he is the one who survived. This is real. And I'm sure each and every one of you have in your lives similar experiences. Whether to you directly or to those around you. This is the nature of the life in which we are. You may like something and it's not good for you. And you may dislike something and it's really good for you. So, what we need is the spiritual strength to change that which is changeable. Let's leave the unchangeable. Let us be patient with the unchangeable. Patience is the key for removing the obstacles of the unchangeable. That is the key, patience. And everybody knows it. Patience is a virtue. I remember this is what I was told growing up. Patience is a virtue. Yes, it is. Patience in all of its manifestations. Patience, on one hand, to accept what we cannot change. And also, on the other hand, to be patient in continuing to do things that we know are good. Because we're in a world in which we are being tested. A world in which good and evil don't seem to be equal. Evil seems to be dominant. Those people who take the shortcuts, who take the bribes, seem to be the ones who are successful. The honest person doesn't seem to be very successful. So the temptation not to be honest is great. The temptation not to be honest is great. How do we remain honest? It is through patience. We have to be patient, believing ultimately that in being patient with honesty, staying on the honest path, it ultimately leads to good. Even if we can't see immediate benefit around us, it ultimately does lead to good. And in the Quran, not mentioned here, God said, Hal jaza'ul ihsani illa ihsan Is there any reward for good other than good? Yes. If we stay right and are patient with trying to do the right thing, ultimately we will be rewarded. Now, in dealing with the changeable things, we have to develop a strategy. The changeable things, for the most part, are related to ourselves. The unchangeable things are things around us. This is our environments, the things that we can't change, which are fixed. How we're born, where we're born, etc. But the changeable things do come back to us. So it means that if we want to achieve inner peace, we do really have to focus on 
ourselves. We can't spend time and effort on those outside of ourselves who we can't change. We can try to influence them, we can try to encourage them, etc. But whether they will change or they won't, that's up to them. What's up to us is whether we change or not. So, we have to focus on ourselves. In focusing on ourselves, we have to realize, we have to accept that left only to ourselves, we are likely to fall back. Every time we try to change something ourselves, it is so easy to fall back and to do what we said we weren't going to do anymore. Some organizations, like Alcoholics Anonymous, dealing with an addiction, a major addiction in societies today, especially amongst Western societies and even here. When they outlined a plan to deal with addiction, trying a number of different methods, they found that it was essential that those involved link themselves to a higher power. The belief in God was a necessary component for them to achieve freedom from the servitude of alcoholism. Those who were able to do it were able to change. Those who were not were mostly unable. In practice, in the U.S., when Islam began to spread in the jails, there was some alarm and some concern but after a period of time, the penal system noted that people who became Muslims in jails, people with violent pasts, etc., changed. They were able to make changes that they were not before. That connection, that link made a difference in their lives enabled them to make the step they needed to make, which otherwise they would not have succeeded. So what we're coming to here is, as God said in the Quran, it is only with the remembrance of God that hearts find rest. That inner peace that we seek, through changing ourselves, is ultimately linked with the remembrance of God. Being conscious of God. Accepting God in our lives. If we don't accept God in our lives, then ultimately we will not achieve inner peace. We may achieve some elements of enjoyment at different points in our lives, but inner peace, we won't achieve it. 
The reality is that we are created beings. We didn't come about by chance. Those who say there's no God say that we're here by chance. We just popped into existence. The Big Bang took place so many billions of years ago. And out of the Big Bang, here we are today. Darwin's theory of evolution in between and up we popped. Well, practical, a practical view of life seems to indicate otherwise. If we were to take an atomic bomb, one of the weapons of mass destruction, if we were to take one of these weapons of mass destruction and drop it in a junkyard, junkyard where they collect all the parts of cars, spare parts, all of them, we drop that weapon of mass destruction in there. What are the chances of a Rolls Royce rolling out? Rolls Royce comes out, door is open, key in the ignition, engine humming. Just need to get in and drive away. What are the chances of that? Well, some people say, if you keep dropping atomic bombs in the junkyard, one day it will happen. But let us not fool ourselves. The chances of it happening after a billion attempts is no different than the first attempt. It's all the same. And just as in our minds, our common sense tells us it is impossible. Guess what? When we say the Big Bang brought us into existence, we are far more complex than a Rolls Royce. No big explosion of matter produced us. That is like the Rolls Royce from the junkyard. Common sense tells us. But of course, we are tempted. We are tempted to want to say, yeah, it is by accident. Yes, it's by evolution. Yes, our grandparents were monkeys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. We've seen it in the books. We've seen the films about it. It makes sense. But really in our heart of hearts, we know it's not true. It's not true. And until we come to grips with this, to realize, to understand that we are created beings and there is a creator, we will be at a loss. We will not achieve inner peace. We cannot find it without the remembrance of God. Knowing that God has created us. Of course, some of us will say, yeah, okay, I know God created me, God created us. But, He created us and this world is too insignificant for Him to get involved in. It's nothing. Why would God get involved with this world? Just like us getting involved with an anthill. 
you know, you see the ants crawling in the holes and to go and dig it up and find out what's going on inside the anthill. Yes, you do have some people who do that. But for the average person, to get involved with what's going on in an anthill, what's the point? Insignificant. Similarly, God created the world and He just let it roll on by itself. He just let it roll on by itself. So, it's just the life we live. Do whatever makes you happy. Find your inner peace through whatever pleasures will produce it for you. And that's what it is. You know, there is no real goal, end, purpose. 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 There's no purpose. We're just here. No different from the elephants, the monkeys, the fish, the birds, just living and dying, procreating. That's it. No purpose. But God created us. Well, if we just stop for a minute and think. If God created us without any clear purpose, we're just to live a life. What does that say about God? If we found somebody said to us, <clears throat> I have this wonderful machine here. We see it, parts are spinning and things are going up and down and uh, steam is coming out of it. And then we ask the person, what is the purpose of this machine? And they say, no purpose. What are we going to do? What are we going to think? Something wrong here. This person has lost his mind. Somebody comes knocking on your door. Knock, knock, you open the door. What do you want? person says, I don't know. Who do you want? I don't know. Why are you here? I don't know. No purpose. I say, call 911. Ring him up. Okay, we say, call 911 or whatever and uh, take him away. Such a person has lost his or her mind. Insane, foolish, unwise. We have a lot of terms for such a person. So when we say that God created this world, and let it run without any purpose. That's what we are attributing to God. Common sense tells us no. God, the creator who had the power to do all of this, surely must be wiser than we are. Surely must be the ultimate in wisdom. And creation without purpose, even in our own simple lives, we recognize as being unwise. Unwise. So, it is essential for us to recognize God in our lives, to accept God into our lives, and to understand that there is a purpose here. There is a purpose for us being here. 
If we have understood it, then we can put trust in God. We can gain the qualities which will help us to overcome the obstacles to our achievement of inner peace. Among them, patience, we said. Some people seem to be born patient. Most of us have to struggle with it. Well, the Prophet had said, whoever pretends to be patient, trying to be patient, I don't mean just faking it, but they're trying, struggling. So they have to, they give an outer expression of patience, but inside they're struggling. Eventually, if they're doing that sincerely, knowing that this is what God wants from them, eventually they will gain patience. It will come to them. It is something which can be learned. And this is, this is not just only for patience. All of the various characteristics that we identify as being good, wholesome, beneficial characteristics, which would obviously contribute to our state of inner peace, all of them can be acquired. They can be acquired by striving to live them. Of course it's a struggle. It's not easy. It's much easier not to acquire them. It's much easier to be impatient, to be angry, to be unfair, to be unkind. All of this is easier. It's much more difficult to stay on the right way. Much more difficult. But ultimately, if we want inner peace, then we have to be ready to pay its price. It's not cheap. It will not come cheaply. We'll not achieve it by lighting a lamp and staring at the lamp, meditating to achieve inner peace. We won't achieve it that way. This is not natural. This is unnatural. Whatever we achieve from staring at the lamp or a light or a point or whatever, in terms of quietening our thoughts in a quiet room, as soon as we go out into the noisy world, it's gone. It's gone. The peace, everything is gone, finished. Because we have created something in an artificial, unreal environment. That's not the world we live. Nobody can live like that. So, we have to address this issue of God with regards to ourselves. We have to accept Him in our lives and we have to remember Him. Remember God. Remembering God meaning remembering that God is watching over us. He is aware of whatever we do. He is pleased with us doing good and displeased with us doing bad. He wants for us good. Knowing that He is pleased with us doing bad. He wants for us good. Knowing that 
we try to do what is right. And God promises, as is mentioned in the Quran, whoever trusts in God, in Him, will find Him sufficient. If we put our trust in God, when we find ourselves in difficulties, etc., ultimately, He will be sufficient for us. He is one who will always come through. Everybody else that we trust in, we put our trust in our wives, our husbands, our children, our bosses, our cars, our mechanics. We put our trust in all kinds of people around us and things. But what happens? Time and time again, they break our trust. And when they break our trust, what happens? We are upset. Inner peace is destroyed. We're in turmoil, we're angry, we're whatever. Because we trusted them. I trusted you. You promised me. And you broke your promise. That's the world around us. It's going to happen time and time again. And if we keep doing the same thing over and over again, should we be surprised that we keep getting the same results over and over again? No. So if we keep putting our full trust in people, then don't be surprised that it will be broken time and time again. This is the bottom line. We have no way out of that. People will always break our trust. And one who continually does the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, we call this person, or we call this kind of behavior, obsessive behavior. We, in each and every one of our lives, have elements of this. Keep doing the same thing, expecting different results, but we keep getting the same results. We say, like banging your head against the wall. It's not going to move. It's going to hurt every time we do it. Yeah. So, we have to put our trust, the ultimate trust, in the only one who 100% will not break it. And that is God. As God says in the Quran, وَلَا يَظْلِمُ رَبُّكَ أَحَدًا Your Lord will not be unfair and oppress anyone. That is His promise. So if we are to put our trust, then we need to put it in the one who will not break our trust. Furthermore, God says, God will make a way out for whoever trusts in Him. God will make a way out for whoever trusts in Him. Meaning, whatever situation we find ourselves in, no matter how bad it is, if we trust in God, put our trust in God, then an exit from that situation will appear for us. We will find a way out. A good way for what is better. Meaning, when God makes that promise, 
He's saying basically that if you find yourself in a difficult circumstance, don't make that an excuse for doing what you know you shouldn't do. Don't use that as an excuse. Oh, I was... It was... This circumstance... We have a million and one excuses to justify doing what we know we shouldn't do. Well, God says, if you trust in Him, He will show a way out for you. So you don't have to do that. That whatever you do will be what He wants you to do, what is good. Also, We have to consider ultimately, as we said, the very purpose of our creation. Why are we here? Because inner peace is linked to this. If we don't really know why we are here, okay, we know that God created us. And He created us with a purpose. Then we need to know that purpose. We need to know what are we doing in this world? It will inform us who we are. It will clarify to us what is going on in the world around us. It will give us awareness which will help us to deal with the trials of our lives. And give us the inner strength, the spiritual inner strength, to find that inner peace by removing the obstacles. Obstacles which mainly fall on ourselves. They're on our shoulders. We need to change them. So what is the purpose of life? Each and every one of us asks ourselves at different points in our lives, why am I here? What am I doing here? Well, the Quran offers an explanation. The Qur'an, which Muslims believe to be revelation from God, a book of revelation which has remained unchanged for 1,400 years. It states in there, I, God, have only created the spirits and humans to worship me. That our creation, what is required of us, is to worship God. Is to be in a state of worshiping God. And when we consider worshiping God being a purpose or the purpose of life, what do we mean? Commonly we think of worship as just being prayer or perhaps fasting, giving in charity. These are acts of worship. However, the Quran offers a revolutionary new approach to worship. It states there, Qul inna salati wa nusuki wa mahiyaya 
وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Indeed, my prayers, my sacrifices, my living and my dying is for Allah, the Lord of the worlds. Allah being an Arabic name for God. Not a different God. Sometimes people think, oh, Muslims have this other God called Allah. No. Christian Arabs call God Allah also. So Allah is an ancient name in Arabic for God. Actually, those of you who went to see the Passion, the Passion of Christ, if you listen closely to Jesus when he was calling on God, when they translated the word for calling on God, the term he used was what? Allah. Because Aramaic, the language of Jesus, is a sister language of Arabic. Allah is an ancient name. So, if we consider, as I said, that purpose is to worship God. What is meant by that? It is meant, what is meant is that one's life is dedicated to God. All aspects of life is dedicated to God, should be dedicated to God. This is the true worship of God. It is not going to the mosque on Friday, going to the church on Sunday, going to the synagogue on Saturday, going to a temple whenever. No. It is living a complete life, doing what is pleasing to God. This is worship. This is the fulfillment of this purpose. So, what I am presenting, what is it I am suggesting here? I am suggesting that inner peace that we seek, the inner peace that we seek, is not something that we can package in a small package like drugs or music or this, that. No. It is something which has to do with the whole of our lives. Our complete state. It is in dealing with the unchangeable and dealing with the changeable. It has to do with all aspects of our lives. Islam is the religion which God prescribed for human beings. It is the religion prescribed by God. People say, well, no, but Muhammad, you know, he just popped up uh, 1,400 years ago, and there was Jesus before him and Moses and so on and so So how can you say Islam is the religion of God prescribed for human beings? That's kind of one-sided, narrow-minded, bigoted, and all kinds of other things. Well, what does Islam mean? What is Islam? What is this religion? Is it Mohammedanism? No. No. Islam is the submission of one's will to God. That's what Islam means. Submission of the human will to God. 
It also means peace. That is the other meaning if you go to a dictionary, Arabic English dictionary, you dig up that word Islam, you find it has two meanings. One, submission, surrender. Surrender to God. And it also means peace. Because true inner peace can only be achieved when one surrenders ultimately to God. That is where it lies. True inner peace. So, this is where I believe our quest ends. The quest ends here at Islam. This is my proposal, my suggestion. Each and every one of us owes it to ourselves to investigate this claim, this proposal, and this suggestion. And of course, non-Muslims might think, well, oh, he's just trying to convert us to Islam. Well, no, it's a proposal. And guess what? It doesn't only include you. It includes Muslims too. Because so many Muslims today, unfortunately, are unaware of really what Islam is. That submission, they haven't really understood it. What they have understood is the inherited culture and legacy of the generation that they were born into. I'm Muslim, why? Because my parents were Muslim. It says on my passport, Muslim. But can you inherit submission? No. Submission is an act of the spirit which each and every individual has to do for himself or herself. So this proposal is as much a need of non-Muslims as it is Muslims. Because when we look in the world today, because of course the question that comes up is, okay, Islam means peace and surrender, then why do we find all these Muslims fighting everywhere we turn around? They seem to be fighting, you know, Chechnya, Bosnia, Kashmir, 9-11, it might have been them, all over the place, seem to be involved in all this violence. Well, we must separate politics from religion. What is really religion, the, the way of life, not the Friday prayer or the Sunday mass or the whatever, no, but the way of life that one lives. That is and has its own principles which guides it. And much of what you see in the world today, done by Muslims, cannot be attributed to that way of life known as Islam. It's individuals. As Irish uh, Catholics, in their struggle to liberate themselves from British or English Protestants, blew up uh, pubs and blew up uh, railway stations and blew up and blew up and blew up people. We didn't call them Catholic terrorists. 
So why do we want to call those Muslims who do terrorist acts Muslim terrorists? No, they're just terrorists. You know? Call them by any other name, they're just terrorists. So if we want to know what Islam really is, then we need to go back to the sources. This is where we can find out what is that way of life. That book of Revelation called the Quran, which contains its description. And the prophetic statements which elaborate on its teachings. We all owe it to ourselves, Muslim and non-Muslim alike, to investigate this seriously if we want to achieve inner peace each and every one of us needs to investigate this now in closing in closing this journey which has taken us here I would like to say that the essence of the message of Islam in a nutshell, if somebody asked me to put the essence of the message of Islam in a nutshell, I will say that it is based on the belief in one God. A belief in one God. That there are not many gods, but only one God who created everything, who knows everything, without beginning, without end, one God. Indivisible. Having no father or son, brother or sister, uncle or aunt. One God. And that one God created one human race. Yes, people tell us, you know, they are the Caucasoid race, meaning European type people. The Mongoloid race, meaning Chinese type people. The Negroid race, meaning African type people. And in between, different races. This is a story. This is not true. These are not different races. There is only one human race. These divisions are artificial. People made them for political purposes. The reality is we are one race. The African who has uh, A positive blood is closer to the Caucasian who has A positive blood than other Caucasians who have O positive blood. Their blood can save them while others cannot. Who is closer? So, one God created one race of human beings. And this race of human beings has one spiritual need. We're all created with the same need. We talked about it in the very beginning. This desire for inner peace. We all have it. We are all seeking it. So God, the one God who created the one human race, He provided for us one way 
to fulfill that need. He didn't provide a variety of different ways, which contradict each other. So we have confusion. No. This confusion of religions is the making of human beings. God, when He created the first man and woman, gave them a way of life. He taught them a way of life. That way of life was submission to His will, doing His bidding, obeying His commandments, forbidding what He forbade. It was one way of life. And that way of life was repeated with the coming of other prophets. As people strayed away from the correct way, God sent other prophets bringing them back onto that path. The path of submission to the will of God. And this was what was expressed by all of the prophets. Whether they came in India, or they came in Africa, or in the Philippines, or wherever they came, they came with one message. In the Quran, it states, وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا يَعْبُدُ اللَّهُ I have sent, God says, to every nation a messenger calling people to the worship of one God and to avoid the worship of false gods the gods of their creation, whether it be their desires, whether it be gods they created with their own hands, or whatever, other human beings that they take as gods, whatever, all of the various gods that people have, these false gods, belief in the true God requires that we leave those false gods and come to the one true God. One message, one God, one human race, one message, one way of life for all human beings. And that, I propose to you, is Islam. This concludes our search, or the search that I invited you here to go with me. As is our normal practice, we will open the floor to questions and you are welcome to ask any questions you like or to make comments you like as long as your questions or comments are brief so as to give everybody an opportunity who wishes to ask any questions they would like to ask. Um, how much time do we have actually? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Okay. So who would like to ask the first question? And let me say that we would like to give our guests, our non-Muslim guests, the first opportunity. They are giving priority. We'll favor them over the Muslims to let them ask their questions first. If no one wants to ask anything or make a comment, then we'll turn it over to Muslims.
who always have many, 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 many questions to ask. But uh, we'll give our non-Muslim guests the first opportunity. The mic is with me. From either the male or female side, any non-Muslim guests would like to ask a question, just put your hand up and go ahead. Is there search for inner peace in heaven? Is there any search for inner peace in heaven? That is the perpetual state of inner peace. The one which we thought we could achieve in this world, but which I hope I have convinced you is not attainable in this world. It's one that we seek ultimately by doing the right thing here in this transitional world we would achieve that true state of perpetual inner peace in the next yes I'd just like to say that I enjoyed your speech very much and thank you and that I didn't find it to be a Muslim topic at all I think it's universal and I agree with everything that you've said I think we're all right there thank you we appreciate good comments also. Good evening and thank you again. I really enjoyed um, this, uh, the topic of the searching for inner peace. And my question is, um, as Muslim, do you always need to pray in Arabic? Or there or, or or other languages are acceptable? Because I don't speak Arabic. Okay. Uh, the issue of prayer in Arabic. We have in Islam two types of prayers. There are formal prayers which are called salah. And there are informal prayers which are called dua. The, a distinction is made between the two. Formal prayers are the five times daily prayers which have been specified with specific uh, things to say, specific actions to do, etc. That is the formal prayer. The informal prayer is one which one makes at any time. It doesn't matter where one is, circumstances, etc. You can make this prayer, you turn to God, and ask God anything you wish at any time. And even within the formal prayer, there are portions in which you do your own personal prayers. Now the main structure of the formal prayer is in Arabic. And it is something each Muslim is required to learn. Now one may ask, why Arabic? Why not your own language? Well. What it does is that it unifies Muslims wherever they are. So if I went to visit China, for example, I went to China, to Peking, and the call for prayer was made in Chinese, I would have no idea what's going on. And if I stumbled into the mosque, I finally found a mosque, because mosques in China don't look like mosques here, you know. They have varying designs. 
So if I manage to bumble my way into a mosque and they're praying there, and again, the one who's leading the prayer, he is speaking in Chinese, again, I'll be at a loss as to what to do, when to do, etc. So the Arabic only links Muslims wherever they are. And Hajj, the pilgrimage, is the classic example where Muslims come from all over the world, from Siberia to Guatemala, you know, from Alaska to Philippines, and they all pray together at the same time. The Arabic links them. And also, because of the fact that the final message, the final scripture, the Quran, was revealed in Arabic, it is also encouragement for all Muslims, wherever they are, to read the revelation of God as it was revealed. Not just through translation, which is what most of us end up doing, but to encourage people to hear the revelation, to understand it directly from God, as opposed to through intermediaries. It's a very excellent uh, presentation and uh, you talked about uh, the purpose of uh, human beings uh, in this life and which is the submission to Allah. And, but uh, I just want to ask you like uh, what is the purpose of the, uh, what is the purpose of creating this world? of the God, you know, like uh, he is uh, exalted and uh, he is, uh, you know, much uh, higher uh, than to have this uh, world created and uh, worship for him, you know, they, he doesn't need all this if, and... Uh, okay, uh, my friend's question here, as to the purpose of God, why would God create a world, a race of people to worship Him, when we all agree that He is not in need of worship? Why would He do that? Well, the reality is that the worship of God is not for God. As we agreed, God doesn't need our worship, then obviously that worship is not for Him. So, what is the purpose of that worship? Who is it for? Can somebody tell me? Who is it for? For ourselves. Our worshiping God is for ourselves. It is for our own benefit. God doesn't need our worship. Whether we all worshipped Him or we didn't worship Him, it doesn't change God's state in any way. It doesn't harm Him, it doesn't benefit Him. So, the principle of worship is for us to attain the state for which God created us. For us to attain the state for which God created us. He created us for a state, that is the state of paradise. 
the state of perpetual inner peace. But he gave us a choice as to whether we make that take that path and go there by doing what is good or whether we reject it and leave it by doing what is evil. So the principle of worship is to help us to achieve what is good. Because everything of worship, every aspect of worship is geared towards a moral good. Whether it is fasting, whether it is a pilgrimage, whether it is charity, etc. All of it is geared towards developing in each and every one of us the highest moral characters, characteristics that we can attain. And that is why Prophet Muhammad, may God's peace be upon him, had said, I was only sent to perfect for you the highest of moral character traits. The essence of the message is a moral message. So prayer, for example, mentioned in the Quran, God says there, Prayer prevents evil speech and evil deeds. This is the purpose. To remove, to help us to restrain ourselves from evil speech and evil deeds. So the prayer, the worship, is for us as human beings to attain the state for which God created us. Okay, uh, give another one a chance, okay? Because a number of other people would like to, you know, otherwise we don't want to make it an individual discussion, right? You asked the purpose, I gave you an explanation. We'll get back we to you. On. We'll get Sorry. back to you. If nobody else wants to ask anything, save the, save the thought, we'll come back. Okay, Doctor, my question is, can you interlink the meditation, meditation, and the second one is, what to change? No, one question only. What to, okay, what to change, mind or heart? What should we change, the mind or the heart? Well, if we ask ourselves, what is the mind? And we ask ourselves, what is the heart? Of course, when we use the term heart, we're not talking about the organ in the body which is pumping blood, because we can change those. We have the Jarvik heart, which is an artificial one, right? When a person says, you have a lot of heart, you know, we don't mean you've got a big heart inside your body. So when we're talking about heart and mind, we're talking about one and the same thing. The mind... The expression is the expression of the soul, really. The mind is the soul being expressed. We refer to it at times as the heart, and we refer to it at times as the mind. It is the you, the individual, that spirit which God created. So we don't, we don't have to go into a situation of which one should we change first, the heart or the mind? No. We change the heart and we change the mind. We change the mind and we change the heart.
they're one and the same. We only refer to them in different ways under different circumstances. Uh, give the females a chance, please. Assalamu alaikum. Um, doctor, I have one question. Um, in your own perception, if you are a Muslim, do you have an inner peace? Question. I guess you all heard that. As a Muslim, did I find inner peace? Surely. Um, I was born a Christian, raised a Christian. Went to university, became a communist. Experimented with Buddhism and Hinduism. And when I found Islam, I found peace. Peace in the sense that the way before me was now clear. Prior to that, it was confusion. I was trying to do a little of this, trying to do a little of that, not really knowing, bumbling my way along, not being sure, is it right, is it wrong. When I found Islam, Islam brought to me a clarity, which gave me a sense of peace in terms of my own internal struggle and toil to find a way of life, principles which would guide me and guide those around me. Because I became a communist, not because I had any special liking for Marx, Engels, Lenin, Trotsky and the others, but because Marxism, communism, proposed a state of inner peace. If we read into the writings of the Marxists, the, the communists, when they speak about the state, the communist state, where people will work according to their ability and only take according to their need. The state apparatus will fall away. No governments, no nothing. What is this? This is a state of angelic beings. I accepted it. It sounded very beautiful. You know, reality is something else. Right? All we have to do is look at the history, you know, of uh, communism, and it's been a lot of massacres, you know, starting with Russia to China to everywhere else. So it was a quest for a system which would produce a society in which justice would prevail. And people could find a sense of peace in that justice which brought me to communism. And it was Islam in which I actually found the principles fully enunciated, implemented at various points in time, and applicable to myself now. This is a very important point, now. Because in communism, when, or as a communist, with my communist friends, when we had issues of morality, moral issues, where I felt really we shouldn't be doing this, others felt, no we can. Even if people agreed, they still wanted to do it. And the common phrase that people would say is, after the revolution, after the revolution, we'll stop all these things. 
you know. But for now, you know, since the revolution has not been attained yet, you know, it's okay. So the change, the creation of that new communist man could only take place after the revolution. Until that time came, people were going to be hardcore, you know, Machiavellian, the ends justify the means types, right? And um, one of the things that amazed me about Islam was that it said really, you. It begins and ends with you. If the whole world doesn't do it right, you are responsible to do it right. Not after you establish the Islamic State, not after the whole world becomes Muslims, maybe they never will. No, you have to submit. You are responsible before God. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Well, I'd like to thank you first for a thought-provoking speech. And I'd like to go back uh, to an earlier comment um, made about the fact that what you said applies universally and applies to everybody and probably um, can be... Um, Applied by, to Muslims. Yes, applied to us and said by many others. I'd like to shed more light on what is unique to Islam in our search for inner peace. Thank you. What is unique to Islam in the search? Reality is that there is nothing unique. The way had already been outlined by God to the very first human being on the face of this earth, Adam. He was taught that way. Everything that was necessary to achieve inner peace was taught to him. That way of life that he lived was Islam. He and his wife Eve lived Islam. And it's only when people strayed away from that way and their lives became in turmoil, their lives became disrupted, they were misguided, satanic forces beguiled them, deceived them, fooled them, that other prophets were sent to bring them back to that way of life, that way in which inner peace may be attained. So Prophet Muhammad, may God's peace and blessing be upon him, and on all of the prophets of God, he brought the final message of Islam. Not unique and different, but only the final message in its completeness, in a way which would be protected by God till the last day of this world. It would be propagated and carried to all areas of the world and be made available to the vast majority of humankind. The essence of the message is one and the same. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. 
it's a fantastic uh, evening and presentation, which I believe sometime back in London for the same kind of uh, presentation, they asked for a ticket of 200 pounds per head, and I'm getting it free of charge here. Yes. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, it's good. Uh, is there a way that I, I or anybody interested in this group to work with you in the future so that we can find our path to search for inner peace become easy and accessible rather than coming to a meeting and then going away and forgetting it all about? Well, uh, uh, my brothers or friends request here as to how uh, you all, any of you would like to continue this search to find the necessary information to help us in implementing the principles which would help us to achieve inner peace in this life. Where can we cooperate with you? Well, I am a lecturer at the Qatar Guest Center. There are some pamphlets outside which explain where it is, what it's doing, etc. You are welcome to come there. Uh, we have lectures, uh, courses, a variety of different uh, activities there. You're welcome to participate in them. And um, if you have your own programs or activities that you're trying to do and you would like me to partake of them with you, to participate with you, then as long as my time permits, I would only be too glad to do so. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Jazakallah uh, khair for um, this talk here. Just a brief question here. Um, can you please elaborate on how ma'amalat, fair ma'amalat or dealing contribute toward the inner peace or achieving inner peace? Uh, our brother's question here, our friend's question, is that how one's social or financial dealings would help to contribute to inner peace. Well, if we consider that the basis of modern finance is interest, and God has prescribed in the Qur'an that interest is an evil. An evil which he prescribed also, prohibited also in the Torah, prohibited by Jesus and by all of the previous prophets. It is reaffirmed, revived in the Qur'an. It is a principle where it is applied, it brings peace to societies. Interest, financial dealings based on interest only bring poverty, degradation and humiliation. If we look at the debt of the third world today, which it is unable to pay, not even the interest on the loans they are able to meet, where because of this debt, the first world demands of them things unfairly, demands rights which are not theirs, then we can say that were the principle of non-interest, 
financial dealings applied, it would bring great peace to the nations now under the yoke of the capitalist system in place in the world today. The IMF, the World Bank, and these other institutions, which continue to force uh, loans in societies in such a way as to make them slaves, to make their wealth the prize to those financially stable uh, nations. If the interest laws prescribed in the Torah, the Gospel, and the Quran were implemented, then great peace would come to these nations. And that's on a big scale. We have just five minutes left, if there is any more questions. Uh, okay, before the question from the male side, let's give a question from the female side. Um, again, I have a question. Because in your topic before, when you are speaking about this passion of Christ, I have one view of uh, the Christianity that uh, they believe that when Jesus Christ sacrificed for the world to save uh, the sins of the world, um, do you think this sacrifice for us will grant an inner peace? But for me, in my own view, until now, some uh, Christians still not have inner peace. About this, the sacrifice of Christ, have they saved the world from sin? Well, uh, you're making a statement and asking a question. In terms of belief, as a Muslim, of course, I don't believe that Jesus was sacrificed. The Quran states that he was not crucified, nor was he killed. But it appeared that way to people. He wasn't on the cross, he didn't die on the cross. So, from a Muslim perspective, which I believe is the correct perspective, the so-called death of Christ is only an excuse which has been used by those who change the religion which Jesus brought from what he taught to a new religion which they called Christianity which Jesus never called Christianity they called it Christianity and introduced a series of doctrines and beliefs which were at variance different from what Jesus taught and central to that was that Jesus died to save the world. That salvation was no longer in the hands of the individual. A person could not turn to God and repent and God forgive him or her and that's the end of it. No. The burden of sin was so great, according to this new set of beliefs, that no human being's repentance would be accepted. It required a divine sacrifice. So this is a whole set, this is a philosophy. Jesus never taught that. 
This is something made up after his time. And the story of his death became a central part of it. But the teachings of the prophets from Abraham to Moses to Jesus was that each and every human being has in his or her hands the ability to attain salvation for themselves without any intermediaries between themselves and God. There's another question from the females. Assalamualaikum. Walaikum salam. I just wanted to ask, um, I've met many Muslims from different parts of the world, um, and the Muslims I have come across who seem to have attained inner peace definitely seem to be among the Sufis. Um, and I want to ask you, why is that? Was the Prophet ﷺ, was he a Sufi in any way? Um, and can you elaborate on why as Muslims we fast, we pray, we do the five pillars, but we still don't seem to attain inner peace? Okay, the question of those who appear to you to have attained inner peace. Well, you know when the Beatles went to India and they came across Ravi Shankar or what's his name, uh, Maharishi Yoga, uh, they, it appeared to them that he had attained inner peace. And there are many people today, we have Sai Baba who claims that he is God incarnate and those around him see him as attaining inner peace. Those who go to his ashram and do the rites that he teaches them, they seem to appear to have achieved inner peace. But the realities of inner peace are not necessarily external. They're not necessarily external. It's not something that you can see on the outside. Now, we can all put on a show. We can all put on a show, an external show. But what is really happening on the inside, God alone knows. So, if you find a group which specializes in putting on the show, then don't be fooled by it into thinking that they actually have attained what they have shown. Right? We don't judge the book by its cover. This is only my advice for you in that regard. The reality is that the Prophet ﷺ had said, the believer who mixes with people and bears their harm patiently is better than the believer who doesn't mix with people or bear their harm. Now, the Sufi way encourages getting away from people because the people will affect your state. Keep away from people. Isolate yourself like a monk. Go up on a mountain someplace and meditate, you know. These kind of uh, proposals are really not in keeping with the Islamic way. That wasn't the way of the Prophet. He mixed with the people, he bore their harm, and so did his leading companions, etc. And they struggled, they strived. They had peace, times of inner peace, and they had times of turmoil and struggle. That is the reality of the human being. So, I would only say, don't be fooled by the cover of the book. 
the speaker there's just one last question and uh, we'll uh, have to wind up the session we are running short of time just one last question assalam alaikum uh, this is question on the behalf of my non muslim friends uh, who usually ask that why prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is the last prophet don't you think that at this stage of the world also uh, god should have sent some other prophet thank you okay for those of you that couldn't hear the question uh, why is it that muslims believe or yeah why is it muslim believe that muhammad was the last prophet may god's peace be upon him and on all the prophets uh or why god should send him as the last prophet well god knows best if he chose muhammad may god's peace and be upon him to be the last of the prophets sent in this world then he knows best that that's what was needed if there was to be another prophet sent then he would have sent one however what we find is historically prophets came after the message of the earlier prophets were lost when their messages were lost and distorted then new prophets were sent however because of the fact that prophet muhammad may god's peace and blessings be upon him was sent not only to the arabs as earlier prophets were sent to their limited areas due to transportation communication factors he was sent to the world his message was carried to the world and his message was preserved as no other message prior had been preserved they were all from god but god had not chosen the earlier prophets to be the last prophets so it was not necessary to preserve their messages but in the case of the final message god says in the quran wa inna lahu lahafizun indeed we will guard it we are guardians of it god has committed himself to guard the message has promised to guard that message so it would remain as the final message to the world unchanged and that's what we have experienced in 1400 years the message has remained the same the quran remains unchanged if we look at in the case of jesus within a hundred years or even less than a hundred years after he came his message was already changed so it is not surprising that god sent another messenger after him to clarify all the changes that were made and to bring people back to the clear truth which he sent to all of the prophets and to preserve it as the final scripture to humankind Barakallahu feekum thank you very much for coming i appreciate your presence your suggestions your sharing and i pray for all of your success and i hope you pray for mine in achieving whatever we can of that inner peace assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi